Alright, here we go. Hey everybody, this is Craig Cameron from Cameron Knives on the Bladeology Podcast. Looking forward to talking with y'all. Alright, we're going to jump into it like we do every week. Welcome to another episode of the Bladeology Podcast. We are on this week with our original host lineup and we have a guest this is going to be episode 40 i can't believe we made it but i'm happy we did this is the vocal representation of jeremiah burbank from pvk vegas nick chuprin of ncc knives elijah eichen of eichen blade works awesome and we are on this week with walt from walt's latama fame Walter, thank you so much for coming on and talking with us. Well, thank you for inviting me. I'm really uh, flattered and honored and uh, excited that uh, we'll share some time together and some stories. Heck yeah, I'm I'm pumped. I've been I've been looking forward to this one for uh, for a while. You're um, you're you're an amazing sort of character in this switchblade historical timeline that um, that I'm sort of assembling as I go here. Uh, you've always, you've always sort of been there and you've always had, uh, a passion for, for Italians. And that's, that's, that's where we're here tonight. So, so tell us, how did you, how did you get into knives? Where, where did it start for you? Uh, well, I guess, uh, I guess it would be, uh, I, the only way I could describe it is incredibly early. Like we're talking grammar school, uh, and I don't know the day or the knife or what it was the moment that it happened, but I remember being obsessed, gathering money, collecting money so I could buy a knife. And uh, I used to collect soda bottles and beer bottles. It was a lot of construction going on in the neighborhood. And I would get five cents for a big bottle, like a quart bottle and two cents for a small bottle, you know, like a small bottle of Coke or mission soda or whatever it was. I'd cash them in. And as soon as I got a dollar 50, I'd get something like, uh, I guess a toothpick was my favorite at the time. And I remember one knife that I saw in this, in the window of sports world. Uh, it was a, beautiful Bowie knife. And I think that was around $6. So it took me a little bit of time to collect nickels and pennies to get the $6. But that was the earliest memory of me uh, being obsessed with knives. And I really didn't give it too much thought because there was nobody around me that was sharing that uh, liking for knives. I mean, I I was kind of by myself. And uh, it basically was like that uh, right up until I discovered the newsletter. And then I found that different, that there were other people that felt, uh, you know, as passionate about knives, specifically switchblades, as I did. Hmm. All right. And so now what uh, you're, you're we're talking about grammar school and you're and you're seeing um, like in a, a, a knife in a in a store window in a sports world. Where where in the world are we that we would see this? The, where this in knife? Flushing, Queens. Wow. OK. All right. But I mean, that was just momentary because I graduated to uh, Times Square window shopping in the uh, in the uh, 
souvenir stores, and they they always had this these gorgeous displays. There were three or four of them right on the main drag, and they would have I don't know uh, I guess maybe fifty, sixty. Uh, I'm assuming there were Latamas, uh, everything from like six inch up to a thirteen, oh. and they were just the most gorgeous. They were just beautiful. You know, mm. they were really really nice. Okay. Switchblades in Manhattan. All right. So that, uh, that was a yeah. different time. <laughs> oh, I'm, different, uh, different world. No, it was, yeah, right now, uh, Times Square is like Disneyland, uh, but. Right now it's more like Wasteland, but yes. It's, no, it's a Disneyland. You go in there, you can bring grandchildren, you can, you know, you can spend the holiday there, but. Back then, it was filled with hustlers and peep shows, and the pornography didn't happen at that time. That came much later, but it was uh, it was a pretty seedy place. Mm. So, what uh, what era was that to set us to set us up? Uh, that'll that'll give you an idea how old I am. I don't know if I uh-huh. want to reveal that. Jesus, <laughs> we're we're talking like fifty four, fifty five. Okay, all right, you know, somewhere in that area. Um, and I remember there was I was small enough or short enough to duck in under the turnstile. So a lot of the times I'd get into Times Square for free because I wouldn't pay the, the subway fare, which was only a dime. But that's two big bottles and one-tenth of a, <laughs> the cost of a uh, toothpick. I mean, really. No, you got to, hey, you got you to gotta, you gotta save where you can. You know, yeah, the yeah. knives aren't going to pay for themselves. Yeah. No, that, that was, uh, I remember those, those. Uh, Fondly too, I remember that. That was, uh, and it's it's interesting how those memories were. I kept that to myself, you know, because I grew up with, uh, you know, that juvenile delinquent thing. And switchblade was like, you know, you had a switchblade, you were a juvenile delinquent, and uh, you didn't want to give that impression anyway. It's so that was like, you kept that to your chest. You didn't, you didn't. Um, advertise that you love switchblade knives right. really mm-hmm. you know you kept it to yourself no there's this there was always a stigma to it there still is i, I started making knives back in high school and i only told the select few people back then there you go yeah exactly but things changed you know was, things changed there was a there's a famous uh not fame well for me it's famous there was a picture in uh Time Life uh, Century uh, Book Legend kind of a a, a century uh, book that like took each century and did a pictorial on it. And in one of them, there's a it's almost a double a a double page. It's like three quarters of a spread of a guy looking into a, a window of a store that looked very similar to the windows that I I was looking into. And he's got the long sideburns and he's looking fondly at switchblades, Italian switchblades. And it's just, I saw this image and it was, it was like incredible. Hmm. Um, So so you were saying that, um, so the newsletter came before Latama. Yeah. Oh, way before. Yeah. So tell us, tell us a little bit about the newsletter. Where where did you come across a copy of that? I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. But I I found the newsletter, or it was introduced to me somehow, 
and I couldn't believe it because it was that suppressing the love of switchblades all those years and all of a sudden uh, seeing that there's like a lot of people out there that love switchblades and uh, make switchblades and sell switchblades and used. And I mean, it was just the newsletter was incredible. Absolutely. Mm. It was it was life changing for me. So it now it's really it took me to a whole different level for for the folks uh, for the folks listening at home who, who may not be familiar when 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 we say the newsletter what was the uh, what was the actual name of the newsletter uh, let me get a copy because I don't want to get this wrong it's the automatic knife resource guide and newsletter and it was just 45 issues that ran from i guess nine i guess 1992 to 2003 and there were 45 editions it was a quarterly and it basically documented the development of uh names like protech microtech almar mikov all the beginnings of all these companies and even back to the vintage stuff like uh, the 1700s which was great, you know, and they had uh, Dan Fuller, of course, was one of the uh, uh, contributing editors, Builder Shivs, and then Sheldon Levy's insights were just incredible. I mean, he had a way of writing. I remember Gad Zooks, he would write. Gad Zooks, I mean, really, it it just, he had a a way with words, and he was... uh, uh, I, re- I I just enjoyed, and I enjoyed talking to him. He was really, and he was very uh, helpful in me progressing or developing in this business. In fact, he is the one that uh, introduced me to Josh. You know Josh, right? I I do know this character. Yeah. Indeed. Yes. <laughs> yeah, too was, well. Yeah, he was in Massachusetts at the time. That's and, right. Uh, he hooked me up with Josh, and uh, but he did a lot. Uh, Sheldon did a lot. He, we were phone buddies for a long, long time. You know, talked about bees and flowers, and it was it was pretty cool. Uh, and the birds and the bees. Yeah, the the newsletter is definitely it's like a it's a quintessential point of. Uh, of history, like you said, for for a lot of those companies and the people that wrote for it. And I mean, um, the ads in it. I mean, PVK had had ads in there from way back. Um, yeah, yeah. And it it was really. Um, I think if anybody was anybody, they were in there. So I started this community in '09. But I'm not too familiar with that uh, with the newsletter. So from what years did it run? From 1992 to 2003. Uh, but just to add a little bit of what we're talking about with the newsletter, uh, I ended up being the caretaker of the newsletter. Uh, Sheldon kind of like, he didn't give it to me. Uh, you know, I kind of bought it from him, but he offered it to me, so I bought it. Um, and uh, with that purchase, I, re- I, I, I have all the original photographs, all the all the correspondence, I have letters, I have email, I mean, I have so much stuff. 
but what I did with the with all of this uh, in hopes of doing what Sheldon wanted to do, he wanted to do a uh, two volumes of the first five years of the newsletter, and then the second five years to do a uh, two hardbound books, which yeah, well, I've been working on it for like I don't know ten years, and it's still. I'm still working on it. I we we got to the point where I didn't make do I didn't do the book, but I took all of the editions and the original photographs. I rescanned everything. I redigitalized the the whole kit and caboodle, and it's in color where the original was not in color. It was all black and white, like kind of not the best quality printing. Are we still on the air? Absolutely. Okay. I remember seeing a color version at, at Blade Show. I ran up to Insaya and you and you showed me the um what Blade Show was that? Maybe 2018 maybe. And um yeah. And you had a copy of the newsletter in color which was really far out cuz yeah. I I've, I've only seen it in black and white. Yeah, I I printed and I only and not only that but I enhanced the layouts. You know, there was a lot of I'm like I have a a background and that kind of stuff. So I see something that's not straight or doesn't balance. I get nuts. So, you know, I had to fix everything. Oh yeah. Uh, but I didn't take away the, the initial concept of the design. I just filled it in a little bit, made things a little bit big, but anyway, I, uh, I digitalized everything. Is that the way you say it? you put everything yeah, in a digital format? Yeah, yeah. I digitalized. So you can, yeah, you can, uh, download it from the site uh for a buck 99 per issue and if you buy a hard copy you get the fr- you get a free download so it's Damn. it's pretty nice actually go. i actually i heard somebody was pirating them oh. <laughs> and getting them for free i said oh you son of a gun but I, I i i think my buddy up in canada stopped one guy and there's another guy he's working on i don't know i i didn't get involved in the details but mm. it is available and I, i'm pretty proud of it yeah you know, so i know yeah. I've, I've seen the um the layout on um on the website it looks great and um and really having it in color is just like totally far out it seems like a small thing but really the newsletter was always in black and white so having it in color is a is a step up yeah it's, well it's see to me at the time, I didn't care if it was, you know, all red or all green. It didn't matter to me. It was that it was that kinship with with God and another person that like switchblade knives. You know, it was like a friend, you know, and, and the world stopped still as soon as that came in the mail. It, I mean, I did nothing but read the thing from cover to cover. And I can still read it from cover to cover because it's like, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but. You know, I, I enjoy even if I've read it a hundred times, I, I read it again. It's nice. It's comforting. Right. I mean, it's one of those things where it the newsletter sort of talks about the makers. It talks about the companies. It talks about it talks about every aspect um, which goes into the knife. And it just happens. It does. It does center around switchblades, which is great because there's not really anything that's, you know, especially at the time. And actually, nothing really now does that. Everything is just sort of a smattering critical look um, of knives in general. There's not like a there's not a resource guide that sort of sits down and goes over you know the aspects of the knives beyond you know 
length, width, weight, and yeah, stuff yeah. like that. You know. Well, yeah. Yeah. No, I understand, and uh, you know, which brings me to another uh, point where uh, 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 Dan Fuller or Neil Punchett has been bugging me for the last couple of three years to continue the the newsletter, which I've tried to do, but somehow. I it just it's you can't follow up and act like the newsletter that Josh did, and uh, not Josh, but uh, with um, Sheldon. Sheldon did. I mean, right. it's just incredible. All right, so tell us a little bit. Okay, so we're we're in Flushing's. We're we're back in Times Square. You're finding the newsletter. Uh, what's the next step after that? You're reading the newsletter. Well, it, it must be the '90s at this point. No, wait a second. Wait a Uh-oh. second. I, so I got I got married and had three kids oh, in the meantime. So, you know, that <laughs> the knife thing took a backseat to, to a couple of things, but, uh, there did come a time back in, I, I don't even remember exactly what, what, what day it was. I mean, what date it was in the nineties, I guess, 2002, 2002. And again, uh, I had this like getting into the knife business. And uh, I went to Maniago and met with the Beltramis. Uh, we went there a couple of times. Uh, wow. And uh, at the time, and I didn't know too much about the business. Uh, actually, we were living in Poland at the time. And I went back and forth to Italy and we... Uh, Came, I came. Well, we, I was in the thing. I said, "Well, why don't we do this little nine incher as a lefty, right?" Oh yeah, that's right. Yep. And uh, I spoke to Sheldon about it, and he says, "Yeah, and you call it the Southpaw." So he named it, and I made it. Or well, the Beltrami people, uh, the Beltrami family made it. And uh, and then that's where Josh came in. Josh came in and bought them all. Not all of them, but. <laughs> Josh purchased most of them anyway. Like the first left-handed Italian switchblade probably ever, I'm going to say, right? Yeah, I I remember Josh saying to me, you know, I'm going to have these things for years, but I don't care. You know, (laughs) (laughs) I remember that thing. I was very grateful that he bought them. That was, that was a, because I didn't have an outlet like I do now, but uh, at the time it was, uh, it it worked out pretty nice. Hmm. So, so it was sort of like an OEM project. They they built them for you in Italy. Yeah, and they still do. Right. They still do. Yeah. I I am trying to get things happening here, but it's I I, I run into I, I ran into some problems. We 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 did some new designs for knives, but uh, I think what we're doing now in Italy is will be fine until we come up with a solution to to make knives here not italian knives but other knives here in america hmm Hmm. okay so the the beltrams made the original southpaw right and they continue to make the uh the five millimeter uh nickel silver bolsters and i i basically redesigned i i didn't redesign it i took pieces from knives that i liked i took a a little bit from uh a 1930 Maniago uh, flat button, flat guard, and took that design. And there was a half grind that I saw somebody did a custom knife, and I took that. And I just 
you know, put it together and made everything thick and came up with the five millimeter classic. And then eventually, and I think the pick lock came first. I think we did first did a, a flat guard pick lock. And then we started to do the classics because the pick locks got kind of expensive. You know, they, uh, they, they, they get kind of pricey because of the labor. Mm. So in the, in the pantheon of, uh, of Italian knives, uh, where does, so where did the, where did Latama come from? Oh, that came from uh, my buddy Sam Polk. That that was another introduction by Sheldon. Uh, Sheldon said, "Why don't you call up Sam Polk and do something with him?" So I did, and uh, I went down to Florida. We met. I went down there a couple of times, and uh, we discussed a couple. We discussed his gentleman knives, which. I kind of got a hold of and revamped the packaging and we we started that and that was like not as successful as I would have liked it to have been because it was the wrong time. It should have been, if we were back in the 50s, it would have worked, but it, it didn't work from when we did it. But we did uh, uh, do a signature uh, edition of the square button and uh, uh, it was uh, the first time in like 50 years that a knife was stamped with the Latama signature, with the Latama stamp. And uh, aside from that, it had uh, Sam Polk's signature right on the blade. It was a gorgeous piece. It was really nice. And Paul Panic uh, made those pieces. Uh, you know, he did a really super job on that. And it was only oh, 10 pieces, but and there were 10 pieces and two prototypes made. So that's that's all that we we were able to do. Not that we were able to. We could have made more, but the, we just limited to that. And that was the beginning. I think I did. Uh, in fact, I, I know I did that before we started to do the five millimeter pieces. I, I did a, a couple of runs of just regular straight up uh, um, pick locks, but they really didn't, uh, it, it was nothing to write home about, even though the the originals, the ones that have Walt's flat guard are somewhat of a collector's item, which I um, I was shocked when I heard about it. It was like, what, what, what was it? That's another thing about these switchblades. Sam Polk was like flabbergasted or like, he just couldn't believe that people were collecting his knives and getting the prices that they were getting at the time. Hmm. It was like, uh, he just didn't know. Yeah. I mean, there's, you know, there's a, there's, there's a knife for everybody out there. And some of those knives just happen to be the ones with springs in them that, uh, certain people really, you know, they go after and they have, they have a, a huge passion for. Yeah. Yeah. We were, yeah. we were actually, we were speaking with Paul recently and I, I asked him about you, and he was like, "Oh yeah." He's like, oh, and so he, he did. He did tell us a little bit of the story about that, and um, obviously, only 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 positive things to say about you, which which was the trigger for me to contact you and, and get you on here because I wanted to I wanted to get the whole story, so to say. Yeah. Well, it was uh, it was exciting because it was uncharted territory for me. You know, I was poking around in places that I've never been in, and 
it was exciting, but it, it it turned out pretty good, I think. Yeah, I mean, I would have to say that I don't think too many Americans or too many people in general have been to to see the Beltrams, especially at that time period. Um, I can't imagine that must have been a pretty interesting meeting to to go to Italy. At I mean, did you meet? them did you meet represent representatives uh, no, of the family no, or? no I, w- I was there we had lunch in oh, fact wow. that was that was the beginning of another uh, other adventures that uh i would go to maniago at least twice a year and uh between beltrami uh de bone uh, uh Cellini, i mean I, I i dealt with a lot of the makers there you know it was uh it was, it was a, in, in fact, I had a, I still do, I have a, uh, like a, a really nice relationship with uh, Patricia Pasquale's son, Antonello. And he's like the guide that took me through all of Maniago, showed me just about everything. One of the most interesting things that I've ever seen in my life, like, it's like a highlight. The the first factory or factory the first workshop that they had was on a quiet little street in an old old building, and the facade was like cement and uh, uh, like cobblestones uh, with shutters and and it's hard to describe. But they would you know it was it was part kitchen park work park workshop and then the living room was a couple of feet over here so everything was together was a, well, you probably have to know that all of the knife makers, it was like a cottage industry. So each family did certain things. Some families made scissors, some families made whatever they made, but uh, uh, this building had uh, apparently somebody put a slab of cement, fresh cement on it. And uh, uh, Antonello or Patricia Pasquale carved his name Patricio, and I have a picture of that. It looks like, like cave art, and it's so cool. That is actually that is pretty. Yeah, that is pretty yeah. neat. Yeah, it is. I mean, he, you know, some pointed that out. You know, mm-hmm. you know, and there were other guys like uh, the uh, uh, Giuseppe Veneer from, uh, uh, you know, the rabbit uh, um, lepre. You know, uh, recognized, and that's another craftsman that just is. Uh, probably the best right now. I don't think there's anybody that makes better knives right now. That, uh, than, well, there's not too many people. I, I think there's like two, three families left. You know, it's a, it's a dying, it's a dying industry there. You know the the kids. Now, you know, like, are you talking custom manufacturers or? No, well, uh, let's or production uh, manufacturers. Really. I think at that point it is like. To, Degree custom. Yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm talking about switchblades, really. I mean, you know, there are a couple of really good, like Fox and uh, others uh, in Maniago that make knives, but they don't make it uh, switchblades. And Veneer is still making switchblades, and he's uh, he and Beltrami and uh, what's the other guy's name that uh, he made some knives for us. Uh, and I mean, also when you when you're saying workshop, I mean, I think that it's important to point out. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, we're talking about like a 
an apartment type scenario with like hand tools at a, at a point and maybe it's much larger now but still these these knives are basically assembled and tuned all entirely by hand yes like Absolutely. there's no automated machinery other than maybe a large press but i think that's yep. about it i mean these yep. this is yep. not a manufacturing facility this is like you know, leather bags filled with sand for forming steel and aluminum and hammers and saws, you know. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, yes and no. I, like the, they don't make the blades at, at the places. They have that, you know, outsourced, but they put everything together in these workshops. You know, they'll pin it and fine tune it, but they don't do any blacksmith stuff there. Uh, uh the bone does the handles, so they send the handles out to have them done. Uh, and he's uh, Lucio is uh, he's a gentleman and a half. You know, he's he's really a super guy. I, I uh, that's part of this this whole adventure that I'm on is having people that I know in Maniago that I've dealt with and that they're just unbelievable. They're just great. I don't know, what can I say? Hmm. I love them. Yeah. Yeah, just just to 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 because I think the modern concept of like a knife workshop, and what's what we're what you're talking about with with these Italian ones is totally, it is a different concept. It's not you know, like a fine it's fine tuned machinery. It's it's more you know it's more people hands on assembling these yeah, these knives. Yeah. Well, I've never been in uh, uh, the the. Case factory or or even Microtech or any of the guys here, but uh, this is completely different. This is uh, Beltrami. It's the father and the son, and the daughter's in the front office. Uh, uh, you know, it's that kind of a very very small kind of a thing. Veneer, Giuseppe Veneer. He's uh, it's just him and his son, and his daughter takes care of the front office. So that's it's, yeah, it's like a like a family, literally a, a family operation. Yes, yes. Right, right. So you were you were traveling back and forth. You met these guys. You're making these knives, and and now even in even now you're still working with them um, through the Latama brand. And tell us. So there's a there's defined differences between a Latama knife and the other knives that we can get from Italy. Um, one of those is definitely the thickness, right? That's a big, the five millimeter. Their Latamas are beefy knives. They fire pleasingly hard. Um, but I think you definitely, the, the knives are, I'm gonna just say, of a high quality. They're not what you, not that the Beltrams aren't, but the Latamas are definitely the step up, I would say. Well, the Beltrams, well, the difference is the, the money uh, that's invested. And it takes like uh, uh, a Waltz Classic would be $300 plus and, and a regular, not a regular, but a, a lesser switchblade you can buy for like $150 or $100. I, I don't know what, what the going price is, but the material is different. Uh you know, and like you said, the the it's thicker, and 
it, it just put together a little bit different, a little bit more solid. So that their their less expensive knives are terrific. I mean, for the for the amount of money that you're paying for them, it's it's a good deal. They make they make a great entry level switchblade. There you go. You know that, that's really good. So when you know, and then we and and they make a a really nice three hundred plus knife for us. You know. And then we get fancy with some of the stuff. We get into customizing the handles with some exotic uh, materials that that's that's fun with firework. I enjoy doing that. That's kind of nice. But I do that here in the states. You know, I get the pieces and then we, we we customize them here. Yeah, I definitely like when when guys when guys call in and they're looking for an Italian. There's sort of there's a few different families who are making them and depending on what they're looking to collect there's there are really good entry level ones and then sort of if they're looking for something i would say presentation grade then i would definitely i would always suggest a latama just because they are the finishing qualities the handle material and the action are are steps above everything else available yeah yeah well that's thank you in in italy right so you're you're meeting with these guys uh you're can you you are maintaining relationships with with these people from from the original inception of the brand up until currently yes so just just to the latama is a as a current running project these knives are being made currently and they are available from from multiple dealers, obviously PVK is a is a huge Latama dealer, but these knives are available. The ones that we're talking about right now that have this this history and this pedigree, these are available now. Um, yeah. for, I mean, obviously from Walt as well. You you yeah. sell them and they're and they're available from dealers. I mean, this yes. is uh, so the 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 Latama legend continues, which. Uh, there was a passing of the torch from San Polk to, to us. Uh, again, I don't remember the dates, but that was also kind of uh, monumental for me, you know, to have Sam pass it on to us. I remember I went down there and uh, I wish I had had a tape recorder when we talked because his, uh, his stories were just through the, I mean, they were just off the, off the, off the charts. He, he would talk about his hotel he had in Mexico and his royalty, the royalty in his family and the things that he tried and did. And uh, just, I mean, I, was, would, I would imagine it's, it's a, it's a amazing tale. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It, it unbelievable guy. Another, another, uh, another person that really, uh, you know, took a, he had a, a, a running relationship with Tim Zinzer, who I think has passed away, but Tim Zinzer were, was very friendly with him also, that that we would share stories that we, you know, he would hear, you know, he would, when we'd meet up at the at the show, we would compare notes. And it was, it was nice to talk to somebody else that had that same experience with Sam as I did. So, yeah, you know, it was nice. So the Italians are famous for coming in, um, or if you don't know, they are famous for coming in from the smallest two to three inch knife to the largest knife. There's a picture of uh, Angelo or Angelo's father 
with a knife that's bigger than him. It's maybe 12 feet or so. Uh, <laughs> there's probably more like, yeah, six feet, I six, think. That, yeah. yeah, there's a picture of Sheldon Levy sitting on a park bench holding a six-foot switchblade with a wooden scale handle. Which is which is it's an incredible it's it's an incredible feat uh, to to make something like that 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 fires like that. I know. Um, I think Smoky Mountain. If you go to their showroom, they have a four foot. They have like a middle. It's like a three foot or four that, yeah. foot. They have that yeah, in I a think case. It's like four foot. Yeah, it's not six, but it's yeah. I think it's like four foot, which is it's a beautiful piece to have. I believe it's folded in. Half. Yeah, it's, it's like semi open. Yeah, this one I saw. It's like it's what we call like dog legged. It's like it's just like partially open. Yeah. Um, no, there there are a couple there are a couple of those things floating around. I've seen them from time to time. We had that original uh, Latama switchblade that was hanging in the Macy's window back in that in the day. We had that for a while. That was pretty big. That's awesome. And, yeah, and then we had a we made two twenty four inch switchblades picklocks. Uh, uh, Pasquale, uh, Pasquale, why can't I remember his name? See, this is what happens when you get young. Oh, is that, is that what yeah. it is? <laughs> yeah, you get young and you forget everything. I'm telling you. It's just horrible. Uh, but he made two for us, and the only reason we made them was, uh, 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 what's his name, came in with two two pairs of horn uh, stag that were just humongous and they were all in one piece and you never see stag that big in one piece usually when you get a display knife it's cut in half and because you can't get anything that big but he came up with two uh two pair and i we just said okay let's do two of those and he uh, uh he made them it was wow. really nice 24 inches that's 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 pretty sweet because I I think um, you do uh, you do pretty standard uh, twenty three centimeter and twenty eight centimeter right yes well I made twenty uh, I made the thirty threes but we stopped making those for a number, for a couple of reasons but we stopped doing that um, also sidebar Italian knives in general are measured in centimeters so 23 centimeter knife is what was what we call it is a nine inch and then the 28 is a, a 28 centimeters and 11 inch there's a slightly larger there are other sizes however the mo the two most popular sizes in italians are the are the 23 yeah. and the 28 yeah it's like a, a, a it's really shy of nine inches but uh, you know it's it's like i don't know an eighth of an inch shy or whatever that measurement is but it's just a little no, bit less that's that's not blade length that's overall no, yeah right. that's overall, overall tip to tip so but when they translate it it becomes a nine inch and an 11 inch yeah i think if you measure it right they're just maybe slightly under um but it's just it's the easiest to to sort of round up and and just call it that um which which can be tricky for for collectors who are just getting into it because it is sort of an entire other measurement system um spending so much time with them it's it's an easy thing to just remember them because that's how you call out for orders you know 23 28s um now walt did you and i forget 
have you ever done swing guards? Uh, well, we're in the process of doing them, and uh, we'll, we should have them hopefully within the next five years. I hope. I hope. I hope. There we go. It, it's a long. It's it's long and tedious when you when you're trying to retool and re design because it's on the other you know that it, it's far away and, and i i haven't been to italy and since this pandemic i was supposed to go just before the pandemic hit us to discuss the swing guards and it's been all you know via mail and email so it slowed down a little bit and i don't want to pull the trigger on it until everything is been approved and everybody is all on the same page because a lot gets lost in the translation and i i don't want to do that because it it's too expensive to do it that way i was saying a lot of guys might think five years is a crazy amount of time because we're used to guys or even the production guys using cncs that are a lot simpler to get going but the italian knives i don't think you talk much about the process but i'm familiar that most of the parts are stamped and getting all the stamps made and all the dies and figuring all that out it's not as it, once it's made, it's a lot simpler to make the knives. But no, get that yeah. whole process going for a model uh, yeah. takes a lot of work and R and D. Well, in the in as far as the uh, uh, the swing guard is concerned, what's holding us up is the swing guard itself. Uh, we redesigned the swing guard, and uh, it's it's going to have to be CNC'd. And I'm working with somebody here in the states to have that done. And that it it just uh, uh, for whatever reason I'm having difficulty not having difficulty but I just think I'm I, I think this is the nature of the beast I don't I don't think anybody's you know what I mean I, I think yeah. it just takes time you know oh no it, it totally it, does you know, guys and are busy and swing guards are complicated as heck already uh, you know we talked to Paul about that making swing guards he's like. Making custom swing guards is a huge pain mm-hmm. because of all the timing and all the fitment issues. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, it's just one of those things that's really, it's a next level of, of complication. Yeah. And then you add a new swing guard itself and the thickness and all of a sudden, you know, everything becomes a, uh, not a problem, but it becomes a challenge. Sure. Now, Walt, just out of curiosity, have you ever, um, or did you ever, I don't remember, I'm trying to like recollect every newsletter, but I can't, um, was there ever a, a masterpiece from, from Tony in any of the newsletters, or have you ever seen a picture of a masterpiece? Which one is masterpiece? Which one is So that? the masterpiece was the pre- dragon slayer otf and the oh. masterpiece had like sliding swing guards that like came out of the handle and it was an otf swing guard it was no no i totally I, I no i think that was before there, yeah that came after what year was that made uh, i'm gonna say that was like late mid 90s late 90s i'm sure somebody yeah i think i think that was that was post uh post-production of the the newsletter okay yeah it was yeah. I, I think tony only made you know famously like four or five of them so no, i mean it, we, it, there no. wasn't it wasn't a huge circulation but it was just no. another example of how swing guards are just people love them but they're 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 very complicated 
there was one picture in, I don't remember what issue it was, but I think it was called the Dragon Slayer. And I think they had a swing guard. And that, when I saw that for the first time, I said, holy moly, this is unfreaking believable. Right. With the little holes in the blade. My God. Oh, yeah. That's, Jesus. yeah. There, that's your, your, there were, okay. So the newsletter had a lot of knives in it that were on the pioneering front of CNC. Um, like the SWAT knives from Arizona, the double enders that were in there. Um, a lot of that stuff. I mean, the Microtech, obviously, the Protech. A lot of that was, I mean, they were cutting aluminum in ways that no one, in, or people had, but not in the knife industry, been doing it as regularly. Yeah. Um, Almar. Almar. Right, was, exactly. Yeah, Almar. And the, the Valentins had um, had knives in there as well. I know the, the yes. Valentin Viper was in there, the OTF. Yep. Um, I, I, I think if someone had the, the gumption to go through it, but to take the, a list of all the knives that were in the uh, issues and just make a one big collection would be just, you, you could see that whole thing happening in front of you, you know, from the progression of switchblades in America or in the world. It would be quite a thing to see. Oh, yeah. Now, do you, do you collect, over the years, do you collect... Um knives yourself do you you must have a personal collection of italians that well, you treasure i did i did okay but right. it got it really got expensive it was like you know i could have bought a a used mercedes i think or it was uh it, it got a little bit too much but i had a a really nice uh collection of flat guards everything from the tiniest the one that uh was purchased by uh, a couple on their honeymoon on a cruise ship, like a little teeny one. It was a wasp body flat guard all the way up to 13 inches, two of them. But I, I had I had to dispose of that. I had a, an interesting knife too in that collection. Uh, it was a, a, a fishtail and the tang was of a monkey hanging on a branch of a tree by his tail, eating a freaking banana. <laughs> I mean, oh, really. That is the, oh, okay. Oh, yeah, I, I mean, yeah. Well, <laughs> okay, all right. Yeah, well, it, it, I remember that night. That was, uh, no, well, an, answer to your question, I, I, you know, I have a couple of pieces that I got from knife makers in, in uh, Italy, the uh, Cellini, uh, a brother gave me a couple of knives that their father made, so I kept, you know, things mm. like that. I'll keep, yeah. you know, with with kind of a, like a, a connection. Attachment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But as far as collecting knives, uh, I do have some stuff. You know, I have a, a, a three or four or six of the rocket knives that uh, that uh, what's his name makes in California. I picked up a couple of those from him. You know, this. No, no. Uh, uh, I, why don't I remember his name? Uh, California. It's got the rocket on the, the blade. The rocket designs. Oh, Dario. Dario. Dario Caston. Yeah, yeah. I have a, I have a bunch of his stuff. Not a bunch. I have like maybe five or four or something like that. I, I, I 
picked out. I like those. Those are kind of neat. You you brought up something that uh, that Josh and I love to to squabble about periodically, but uh, and I asked Paul about this, and I gave a very poor description. Can you describe to us or to the listeners who may not know the definition of a wasp body? Well, um, I know it's tricky. just a, just above just above the bottom bolster. It there's an exaggerated taper, and then it bellies out like the wasp body, like a, a regular wasp that stings you. So it'll it'll be kind of like thick in the middle, tapers thin to the top, thick in the middle, and then tapers right at the bottom, right? You know, ten, you know, like. Uh, let's say uh, 5%, 6%, 7% before you get to the bottom bolster. The tape is in. It's got a, a nice waistline to it. So it's it's a lot like a palm swell. Like it fits nicely in your hand. Yeah. Yeah, right. and it looks it looks great. It, it does. Uh, it does yeah. look really it, nice. In fact, I was thinking about that today. I'm looking at as putting some stuff away and I said, son of a gun, why didn't I do wasp bodies on these puppies? They would have been great. Wasp bodies, but, it's a very pleasing silhouette. Yeah, yeah, it is nice. Um plus we got wasp bodies, we've got okay, flat guards. Flat guards opposed to regular guard. How would you describe a flat guard? Well a flat guard is the uh the guards themselves are flat. And a regular uh, top bolster that they use on the swivel bolsters, they're round. And the reason for that is the round bolster is stamped out and the flat guards back in the day, like it, it only lasted for like 47, 48, maybe through 49, maybe two years, they would solder the guards onto the top bolster. So you know how long that took. And Sam wanted a lot of knives because they were getting tremendous, you know, big orders for stuff, you know, for knives. So they couldn't, uh, they couldn't spend that kind of time to to put the bolsters on these things. So they, uh, uh, Patricia Pasquale figured out, okay, let's bat this, you know, uh, uh, stamp them out. You know, Patricia Pasquale is another another uh, icon in this this whole. Uh, fabric of Italian knives. He was the one that uh, uh, designed and patented the uh, crisp blade, uh, and had a lot to do uh, with the square button and and that design. And that's that's probably another podcast talking about the square button. But that that gets kind of it's in the book, the Latama Legend book. That it we tried to explain how that. Uh, that whole process of who owns the rights and how it was developed. And it, it's kind of an interesting thing. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Which is perfect. Cause I was just, that was going to be my next question. I was going to jump into square buttons. So we're going to, we're going to, we're going to wait on that. Um, and on the Chris blade thing, uh, the same, same on that though. I know that the, the Beltrams do offer a Chris blade uh, now and again. Yes. I see, I see a yes. pop up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which which is which is pretty neat. So that's the the thing about Italians is, and again we we got into this a little bit with Paul, is that the uh, there are so I mean just like any knife, but there are so there's so much minutia. There's size, 
there's style, there's, you know, there's blade shape. And, you know, these, you could have a hundred Italians in front of you and the average person would say, well, they're all the same. And then, right. So the, the minutia is exactly like they have different guard styles, they have different body styles, they're fishtail or not fishtail, right? Half grinds, bayonets, double edge, flat grinds. I mean, they're really, you know, there, there's a, there's a lot of specificity that goes, that goes into these knives. Yeah. Um, I- I like to look at the Italian knives as it's the Ferrari, you know, I mean, you've got Corvette. Well, I don't want to compare it with a Corvette, but you've got Monte Carlos, you've got great Silverados, you've got all these great trucks, great cars out there. And, but then you have the Ferrari and that to me is the Italian switchblade, no matter what configuration it is, there's something about that, that dangerous, juvenile delinquent look that's that's just uh attracts me anyway you know i'd have to agree with you up until this day and i'm sure much beyond this day but that the silhouette of that knife you could draw that on a napkin and someone would know exactly what you're talking about i mean we have it we have it on the pvk shirts we have a we have a a stiletto cross with a ballet song because those are just i mean that's really that's our that's our that's our market, but those are very iconic looking knives. People see those knives and are like, oh, I know exactly what the heck that is. Like, that's an Italian switchblade. Like, people walk in from Las Vegas Strip from all over the world, like places I can't even point out on a map, and they walk in and they go, wait, do you have Italian switchblades? But, you know, they're, they're <laughs> like, they call them some other, like, the nomenclature is always incorrect, but whatever. But they walk in. And they immediately point at the case and they go, wait, how much is that? Like, I want that. Like, that knife is like the buck. I I even say that it's probably more recognizable around the world than the buck knife. It's just that little S. It's that little S at the top bolster and the swivel bolster. And people, they look at it and they go, they they know exactly what it is. And it's just, it's remarkable. I think if you ask anybody, what does a switchblade look like? They would draw an Italian switchblade without a doubt. They wouldn't, uh, you know, that, that that would be it. You don't even have to say Italian switchblade, just say switchblade. And right away, that image of that that design comes up. But most people don't know that there are any other kind of switchblade. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah. yeah, but we do. It's just the Boy. Italians. Yeah, but no, there's some great stuff out there. Yeah. The Protex Benjamin. Oh, man. Um. So an- another thing I wanted to go over, Walt, is um. so the lube. Uh, do you want to get into that a little bit? Sure, okay. I'd love to. Tell us, tell us about, tell us about uh, that offering. Uh, that offering, that that again was an accident. I think it was the second blade show that uh, we did. We had a neighbor, neighbor, uh, uh, and his name was uh, Michael Tank Fisher, and we started to talk a little bit, and he's like. In the heart of Texas, he's like, uh, like down to earth, like a really great guy, and he's not a bad knife maker either. You know, to, not to mention that, but that he is a, a really nice knife maker. He does a lot of uh, custom stuff for us. But we were talking about, I don't know how we came about, but he says, "Well, I have this kind of thing that I use for oiling my knives." I guess we were talking about I was having problems with something. I don't know what it was, and he whips this stuff out and, and he fixes it. 
and you know me i'm like uh i'm 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 right from madison avenue this is a product let's go out and we're gonna i said thank sell 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 yeah right well you know it's not so much the sell it's the creating yeah. of something i i just love to get yeah, an idea them, yeah. yeah it's just you know it, Believe me, we're not when we we can't retire from sales of quick release oil. That's for sure. But uh, uh, my wife's American Express card bills are way too high. I gotta I gotta <laughs> go out and I gotta go out and steal after the sun goes down. I go and all right. I'm just kidding. My my <laughs> my wife is an unbelievable person, but. Uh, uh, he's you know we we started to talk and right away quick release because this was specifically for knives that i think we were having problems at the show we were having problems with the show uh, with the knives at the show and he fixed them so he gave me the formula to make it and uh, uh and we decided on the name quick release oil at that show and uh uh, I went home and uh, started to develop some packaging. And uh, by the next show, we had it happening. You know, we had bottles set up. I think there was an intermediate year. I think the second year we came in with prototypes and we tested the market. Uh, I did some printing on the machine and I pasted them on some plastic bottles and we filled up uh, uh uh, some, you know, I don't know how many dozens of bottles, but we had a bunch of them there and everything worked. Uh, and the next show I had bottles printed up. We had bottlers, you know, putting the stuff in, in quarter ounce, uh, dispensers and one ounce bottles. We had, uh, packaging. We had the whole thing happening the next year. And we released it the next year. It was it was pretty nice, and we're still working on it. I mean, he, you know, we're partners, you know, so it's uh, it's it's a really great relationship. I like that. It's uh, it's it's pretty good. Nice. Yeah, we we still sell the heck out of that quick release. I mean, that's you know. Well, I'm glad to hear that. That's it's good. It's good lube. I mean, it, it works great for Italians. It works great for a bunch of stuff. It's it's got a particular viscosity that really that really works its way in. And uh, no, it's it's good lube, and, well, it, and it comes in those it comes in the traditional sort of squirt bottle. And the thing is, it comes in those needle applicators, which is awesome. Yeah, yeah. It's also pretty effective on uh, any metal to metal surface, but specifically uh, uh, firearms. Uh, Tank's a big shooter, and uh, that was a he developed that for the for the guns and the knives. You know, nice. All right. You know, it works. So we got we got the guns and the knives all lubed up, ready to go, and squeaky doors. Okay, see there we go. Anything any metal on metal friction surface, yes. you throw that lube on there, and you're and you're good to go. Yeah, you're, you're all set. The secret ingredient fills all the nooks and crannies, so everything. <laughs> oh boy, everything works just good. I like yeah. it. Probably even I works like on it. the old knucklehead too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the old knucklehead. Oh my god. Throw that on the Harley and you're you're set to go. I swear yeah. it'll stop making that horrible thump sound. <laughs> I think you're gonna need a little bit more than a one ounce bottle for a well see. You gotta find you gotta find a good supply. 
Um, I that's a that's a great story because I did not know that that Tank was part of the the whole development of that, which is yeah, which is cool. And uh, it's just another name on the list that I will be contacting. So, you you you, you know. can't you can't count on me to come up with something original. I'm I'm I'm, oh, no. I'm I'm the second I'm I'm second in line and I can help, but that's what I do. Yeah, you know that's uh that's something that um the other one says all the time is that uh josh is always going on about the crucial importance of ideas right up until the actuation and then that's where everyone checks out and then the good ideas are usually the the ones that get funded and funding of the idea is the crucial part and thinking of the idea is the eh, you know it's important but getting the idea to to the masses is is the crucial part oh so, wow that's know. incredible yeah yeah very difficult to do right exactly right yeah that's and it's you know. and it's expensive and if you make a mistake that's which good. we've done we've made we've made a lot of mistakes and it costs but I, I have a feeling that's what life is all about well certainly i mean you like to learn from the mistakes when you can you know when you can't you just build more knives i guess um, yeah so we've got the newsletter we've got latama we've got the lube um what am I missing? Anything? Uh, I the lube, the newsletter, the Latama. Well, that's well, it's a continuing story. There's other it things that, yeah. I think you got to you got to cover. All right, all right. You got to cover. It's tough to pack in a lifetime of experience and stories into one episode. I I know that it's it's a tricky one, and it it just makes for. Uh, more stories to come in the future. And and that being said, what uh, well, what does your show schedule look like? You you do you do Blade Show primarily, right? Well, I I used to barnstorm, but I uh, it, we had to stop that because it, sure. it got really crazy. Because it takes me, I would say, at least four hours just to get to the Jersey Turnpike from where I am, and that's. You know, that's four hours of bumper to bumper is crazy for me. I can't, I can't handle that. Uh, just my existence, pretty much. All right, so you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, I live in Brooklyn, but my shop is in Staten Island, so I got to cross the Verrazano every day. Oh, boy. If I, if I hit it yeah. at the wrong, it could be a 20-minute drive, or, or if I hit it wrong, it could be an hour. I'd like to see some of the knives you make. If I haven't seen them already, uh, well, I make primarily titanium frame locks, um, but right now I am getting into the button, uh, like um, spring. I mean, spring round button locks, coil fired. So into the automatics, coil fired. Yeah, I was trying to like grasping for the term there. It's like Jerry save me. And <laughs> like, uh, uh, do you coil fired button locks? Do you do CNC machining? I mean, is that what uh, you do? Yeah. Yes. I actually got my second CNC yesterday. Wow! So that was a whole thing moving that thing in last night. Uh, I got I was uh, full handmade, uh, just manual machines for the first three years. Uh, and four years ago, I bought my first CNC. It was a little bit of a slow progression to the second, but I went through a few shop moves during those times and a couple of delays. And yesterday, I finally got my second one. Wow! And I wish you it's geared up. I wish you all the best. Maybe our, our paths will cross. Yeah, there you go. You never know. Anytime you're in New York. 
Well, what do you mean anytime? I'm always in New York. Oh, you mean like in the city? No, 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 no. I try to stay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, anytime I, you're in New York City. No, no, no yeah, no. I'm, I, I, I rarely cross the Shinnecock Bridge. I just stay here because I'm, I'm afraid to go anywhere. Not afraid. I just, it, it just, it doesn't work for me right now. But now, uh, in answer often, to, I'm sorry. I was gonna say, how often do you, when uh, you say you don't really leave New York too much, how often do you have to head out to Italy during normal times? Well, I usually with the manufacturers I, out there. I usually, uh, before this pandemic, it was minimum once a year, uh, if not twice a year. You know, but that's just go to the airport, take a plane, and I spend usually. There was a time where I'd spend like seven days there, but it was too much. We 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 got it down to where I could take care of business like in two days, and then I turn around and come right back. You know, so it's not a beat the jet know. lag pretty much. You don't even get time to get it in time now. Oh, forget! Don't remind me of that jet lag. Oh yeah, yeah, that's horrible. <laughs> Yeah, that that can well, be that can be tricky. It's a whole, whole other thing that the traveling and the jet lag. Forget about it. Yeah, no, it's it's well, I, I, I don't know, but but anyway, the uh, in answer to your question, I usually do Mystic. I like doing Mystic, and the Blade Show. Um, but we used to go everywhere. I'd go to Oregon and Oklahoma and Florida and you know quite you know. What is the uh, Mystic Show for people who don't know? And me, oh, I don't know. that's the Mystic Show. Is uh, it's a town in Connecticut, Mystic, Connecticut, and they have a two-day show there, uh, and it's run by the East Coast. Bill Tice. Oh, oh, you that, know that's yeah. the NCC yeah, show. I, yeah, I'm, I'm familiar with Bill Tice. I used to work out of NJ Steel Baron shop, so I used to see him here and there. He got me out there to do it one year about six years ago i think five years ago it's the last time i was over there well i i would recommend doing the mystic show because it's completely different it's a two-day show they have new facilities they they have a new thing and it really got super nice you know for a, a neighborhood or a local show i think it's it, it, i i go back you know we make money there it's good you know, and the last time we had, there was a whole display of Schrade knives. Uh, the, the grandson was there. He had part of the booth. They had a, a whole like island, like 10 tables. And uh, Myron Tupa had his table there with, you know, some high end, uh, like seasoned collectors. They all got together and they put this beautiful display together. It was really, really nice. Yeah, that's, you know, yeah, I was it's so, a pretty unique show. I only did it one year, but. I was so bummed. This was the only year I was home for all the NCCA shows, and they were all canceled. I was like, well, wait, you you go to the NCCA shows? Yeah, I was. So, like, one of the first knife shows I ever went to was the NCCA show in Marlboro, Massachusetts. Oh, my God. Yeah. You poor thing. That's, oh, uh, that Chuck, <laughs> Chuck and I talk about that because Chuck exhibits at that show, and so does for Paul Farina. Jesus. Um, yeah, so then. Sounds yeah, like and a, then a storied. Missed, show oh yeah and then mystic is i used to i mean i went this summer to go fishing in mystic but yeah mystic is not that far away it's like it's like a two-hour drive but yeah i was excited about the mystic show this year and then 
All the NCA shows are just forget about it. Nah, that's, that's, uh, now, I like the so. Mystic show. They have that uh, fun auction where everybody banters back and forth and they insult one another and <laughs> interrupt one. It's all part yeah. of the Northeast there. That's, yeah, that's you know. pretty cool. And where did you go? Where did you go fishing? Right, right in Mystic. So, uh, so off of off the coast of uh, Mystic, uh, some friends have um, have some boats, and uh, we we head out into the ocean there, and uh, it's uh, well, probably a lot more drinking than fishing, but the fishing does happen. Um, you know, we have the rods for for show, <laughs> and uh, no, but the Mystic Mystic is great. They have a a whole town. Well, it's the seaport. They have the Mystic Seaport, which is like the historical reenactment of like old new england so i I, like i love that kind of stuff and then they have the the submarine museum just uh well i guess it's like north of mystic a little bit but you pass it on the way and um no mystic is mystic is a cool place i I dig it it's the only part of connecticut that i really uh don't have a problem with uh (laughs) well maybe maybe this year we'll keep our fingers crossed they'll have a blade show uh well the blade show is scheduled i think in fact, I think we already made arrangements for the hotel, hmm. but we'll see. You know, I, you know, hope hopefully uh, this got whole our, thing will be over. Got our fingers crossed. Twenty twenty one, right? Yeah, twenty twenty one. Yeah, we we got noticed that the show was going to be whatever it's going to be, and we booked the hotel, we got our room, and you know everything's good to go. Nice. Now all I, all I need is to have somebody drive me down there. Got you. No worries. Yeah, we'll get it. We'll get it taken care of, Walt. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. Well, that's. I think that's. Uh, I think that's a pretty. That's a pretty good spot for us. I'm. I'm. Uh, we've we've covered. I think just about everything we can cover in in one episode. We've we've we can never cover everything, but that's what the part twos are for. Um, I I, I just know? have to. I have to blurt this out. Oh yeah, go for I it. Just, absolutely. You just you no, just remind. I was thinking about the early days and i remember the first switchblade i ever had was uh you know one of the uh fishtail uh, or the um uh those toothpicks that was a switchblade it was a shred or a, i don't know i probably a sh- i don't i don't remember what it was but my friend had it and the blade broke in half so he gave me the freaking knife Oh wow! And I couldn't believe the—I the, mean, you wouldn't believe the joy I got, even though it was just a stub of a blade. <laughs> pressing the button and having this thing pop open—I just thought of that, the joy of that. Holy cow! All right. No, I mean that's you know, switchblades are—they trigger a part of human fidgeting that is so subliminal that people don't even get it until they handle these things. And then once it's in their hand, they're like, oh my God, that's awesome. And then they just keep doing it. Like the, a customer will fire one of these knives hundreds of thousands of times. It's just like you push the button, the blade fires, and it makes this really satisfying like snap. And then the blades open. Like it's almost magic. I mean, you understand that it's not magic, but it's it's cerebral in the action. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a romantic... Yeah. Uh, object yeah yes it is adrian especially with an italian you know i wasn't a collector of i wasn't Uh a collector of autos i i always collected uh titanium frame lock flippers on bearings that's what i make but um 
I wasn't. I don't think autos were um, on my radar when I was a collector. I collected for a few years prior to being a maker because modern day flippers had that nice. Yeah, it's a similar. They opened right. The, the back in the day, they didn't open like uh, like they do now. They if usually when you flip a flipper, it's gonna open. It's not gonna stop halfway, and that was the appeal of automatics. Once that blade left the handle, it's gonna open and it's gonna whack. It's gonna make a satisfying noise. Um, so I never really went down that rabbit hole until I met Jeremiah a few years back, and now I started collecting knives again. But my collection's almost solely automatics, even though flippers are similar. They open really fast or loud, but it's still not an automatic. The, the The whack is not the same. The action's not the same, and it's not as gratifying to open a, just a, a flipper than a knife on a spring. Mm. There's something about it, as you guys were saying. Yeah. It's it's a, it's fun, man. It's really it's it's super fun. Even at half blade, it's fun. Yeah, even with same. a half a blade, if it's if it was even. I think those are I think those are even more fun because they're different. It's, it's yeah. not it's not what it should be. <laughs> right. I I really hope we get a chance to meet one of these days and share emails and cards and who knows what will happen. Oh yeah, we'll, we'll should all be, be a show. At, uh, yeah, yeah, I haven't we'll seen Bill Tyson in a few show. years, but. We all be able to show. I haven't seen Bill Tyson in a few years. Maybe I'll make it over Mystic again. So it's been a few years since I've gone over there. Well, yeah, all right. We'll make a road trip. Super. We'll make a road trip. Um, that's a long road trip. Well, you know. <laughs> um, that's that's awesome. Uh, Walt, I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your night to come talk with us. Uh, it's been a pleasure to go over some historical points and to build this timeline and to add one more missing puzzle piece to the grand switchblade timeline um that i'm putting together and and then the newsletter is uh is available where can we find the newsletter walt the newsletter.com or you can go to latama.net and we have a link to the newsletter on that on the site very and you cool. you know you can get bundles and stuff but that's yeah you'll see you'll see you so go out there and go to l a t a m a dot net right um, yeah check out check out these knives we're talking about uh check out the lube check out the newsletter there's awesome pieces of history hidden inside those digital or physical pages depending on which one you're interested in um and of course, Latama knives are available from uh, pretty much all the standard dealers that you, that you might look for them. But uh, obviously, from PVK, we have them. Um, and yeah, it's it's a uh, it's a sight to to be seen and and to behold one of these knives for sure. Wow. If you haven't. Thank you very very much for the for the kind words, and uh, I hope we see see each other soon. Absolutely. Uh, on that note, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap it up. This is. This has been another episode of the Bladeology podcast. Thank you so much for listening. This is Jeremiah Burbank from PVK Vegas, and I'm signing off. Nick Chuprin of NCC Knives, and I'm signing off. Elijah Isham, Isham Bladeworks. Good night, everybody. Very good. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Walt. Thank you. Bye.